0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you, thank you, Richard, uh, and thank you, Paul, for leading us in, in those prayers for the, the persecuted church. It, sometimes when you hear those kind of figures, isn't it, like 260 million, it's just hard to comprehend, and you're just reminded of, in a sense, how privileged we are that we can meet in freedom uh, to worship God, and yet that's not the experience of everyone. Earlier on, Richard got us to. Here I sound. Turn me down to two about that thing. Earlier on, Richard got us to uh, come up with those those songs. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get you to do something else. Uh, if you were to identify or name, say the top ten most popular. I'm not saying most important because all of God's word is important, but the ten most popular or well known chapters in the Bible. Right. What ones would you include in the list of 10? So, most popular, best known. Okay, again, have a wee chat with the person beside you. chatted to it earlier. Come up with, you can kind of come up with a list, one or two, whatever. Okay, I'm not going to give you as long as Richard did. Uh, so, I am going to get a wee bit of feedback on this one. So, what sort of chapters do you think people would highlight or point to? Go for it. Sorry? John 3:16 as a particular verse, okay. What Any other chapters? Oh, here. Psalm 23, I heard what was the Romans one? Romans eight, Romans 8. yeah, that one about nothing can separate us from the love of God. Yeah. 15. First Corinthians 13, the great chapter about love, okay. First Corinthians 15. Hebrews 11. That's the right answer, Sam for tonight. <laughs> well done, impressive. Yeah, well done, Sam. Primed. Yep. Anything else? Anyone else? Genesis 1. Genesis 1, right, that. And what was the? Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 right, includes the armor of God. Okay, yeah. So Isaiah 53. 53, suffering servant. Anybody come out with any difference? John 13, 14, 15, and 16. <laughs> Well, I did say you could have ten, Mary, but you just decided to go for four altogether. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. So the lead up to the cross, the farewell discourse. Yeah, those first, those chapters. Okay, and as Sam, as Sam said, I'll, and I don't know how many people would have would go to this one, uh, Hebrews 11. But that that is the the kind of chapter we're going to look at tonight. And as Richard has been introducing, it's the faith chapter. I don't know if you you could guess how many times the word faith appears in that chapter. There are 40 verses in it, but the word faith appears in uh, Hebrews 11 24 or 25 times, depending on the version of the Bible you're using. So that's like every other verse in the chapter includes the word faith. Uh, The chapter is often described as the faith hall of fame. I know this is the hall of faith, but the faith hall of Fame, fame because it lists These great examples of faith, famous and not so famous Bible characters who had faith, who lived by faith, who demonstrated faith. And and in our series called Elevated Jesus in the book of Hebrews, we have arrived at this chapter. But as we come to it tonight, it's really, really important that we don't take it in isolation because there is a real danger. And we can do that with any chapter of God's Word. We can kind of treat it in isolation and just dive straight into it. And we, 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 forget to, we forget or we neglect to locate it properly and set it in its original context. And so I want to do that because it's really, really important to do that, particularly as we come to this chapter. And I'll explain why in a moment. So if you were here, if you were here last week, Uh, we, we looked at the second half of chapter 10. And what we said was, in the kind of middle part of chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews encourages his readers to do three things. And he says, let us, and then he identifies three things that he wants his readers to do. So let us draw near to God. And then the second thing is, let us spur one another on to love and good works. And then the other thing is, let us hold on swervingly to the faith that we profess. And after he has encouraged them to do these three things, he then goes on to issue a grave and solemn warning, all about the danger or the possibility of packing your faith in, of abandoning your faith. And so we identified in that next part of Hebrews chapter 10 three marks of apostasy. And so the three marks of apostasy were where you trample the Son of God underfoot. The second mark of apostasy is where you profane the blood of Jesus that sanctified you. You treat it as unholy. And then the third mark was you insult the Holy Spirit of grace. And as he writes to professing Christians and as he encourages them and as he warns them, and remember, these were Christians who were being persecuted. They were being hassled. They were being tempted to just pack their faith in. But as he writes to them and tries to encourage them, listen, don't shrink back. Don't return to an old way of living, no matter how much pressure you're under. And so what was his key and critical message as he reached the end of chapter 10? It was, you need to persevere you need to persevere. And then he writes, and he quotes an Old Testament prophet at the end of the chapter. He, he, and the, the Old Testament prophet is Habakkuk. And he writes, but my righteous one, or but the righteous, and here's what he says at the end of chapter 10, the righteous will live by faith. And then he says this, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And then as he finishes that chapter, and this is where we ended last week, and it's really important we we kind of get to this point before we go into chapter 11. He ended that, that chapter 10 by saying this, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we belong to those who have faith and are saved. And so having affirmed his readers by reminding them that they do belong to those who have faith and those who are saved He then goes on to write about this incredibly important subject of faith, and he goes on to give us a pile of examples of people who had it, of people who had faith. Now, Hebrews 11 is not an exhaustive explanation of faith. It doesn't, and I'm not going to cover every aspect of faith, even every aspect of what we've been singing tonight. I'm not going to do that, nor does Hebrews 11. But what it does provide is a definition and a description of faith that perseveres, key bit. It provides a definition and an explanation of faith that perseveres. Or what it does is it explains the kind of faith which is necessary for those who will endure. And based on the original context, you can see how important this is. Because here were people that the writer was writing to who were in danger of not enduring not persevering in danger of shrinking back and abandoning the faith now before we read the first eight verses I'm going to show you a video great most of you will know that uh, in a previous life Glenn and I or Glenis and I were, were youth workers and during our time in London in the early 90s Training and serving at a church in Essex and Hornchurch, we use this short scene uh, from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. We we use this clip that you're going to see now to illustrate faith to young people. So let's hope it all works. Closing song. <laughs> the path of God. Not what he said. It's a leap of faith. You must believe. Okay, Hebrews 11. If you want to follow it, it's uh, page 1,209 in those. Now I've got to get this right this week. The pew Bibles. So, uh, I said it all wrong last week, and I've got dog's abuse ever since. Uh, so page 1209, and well, will if it's okay, and if you're able to, let's stand for the public reading of God's faithful, and in this case, familiar word. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. If you are following the Red Pew Bibles, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Please take a seat. Richard has already given us a bunch of quotes uh, about faith, and they were great. And actually, uh, the first one from Luther was very much, <laughs> uh, you could have connected it to that, that video. But the writer here gives us a definition that is incredibly relevant in terms of perseverance, because this, this was the context in which he was writing into and into the context of not shrinking back. And so here is the definition. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what or about what we do not see. Now, confidence and assurance are such strong words, especially when you're wavering, especially when you're shaking in your faith. Confidence and assurance are really strong words that grab your attention. Faith is confidence. Faith is assurance. And so what it refers to is a dynamic certainty about what God has said. About what God has said regarding the future, and about what God has said about the unseen world. Confidence in what we hope for, it's about the future, and assurance for what we do not see, the the, the unseen, the invisible, the real world. And therefore, it's about realizing and believing that there's more. There's so much more than what we can see via physical sight. And so what does Paul say to the Corinthians we live by faith and not by what? Sight. Faith is about trusting in what God has said about the future. And for Christians who are experiencing present pressures and tension, this becomes incredibly important. To have a big picture view of the world. To know that there is more than this. That this is not the real world. That there's something beyond the tangible and the temporal. Now, last week near the end of chapter 10, the writer reminds them. And if you're here, hopefully you'll remember this. But the writer reminds them that at one time, he says, listen, you didn't, you didn't mind the fact that at one time you got hassle for being Christians and you had all your possessions confiscated. In fact, he says, you reacted with joy. And why was that? Here's what it says in verse 34 of chapter 10. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. In other words, you knew there was more to life than this. That you had an eternal inheritance, treasures in heaven that nobody can steal and nobody can destroy. And how did they know that? Because God said it. God has promised them and has promised us a glorious future inheritance. And that is the confidence for what they were hoping for. That's faith. A glorious future inheritance. Plus verse 37 of chapter 10 refers to the fact that the one who is coming will come soon. And so he was saying, listen, you can have confident hope in the second advent, in the second coming of Jesus. You can have assurance for what you do not see. There's more to life than this. Don't shrink back, hang in there. That's faith. Faith is about trusting what God has said. It's not about a hunch, it's not about a feeling, it's not about positive thinking. It's about a confidence. It's about a dynamic certainty in God and His Word, in what we hope for. It's also about a present reality. It's that assurance to say about what we do not see. It's about recognizing that there's more, that there's an invisible world, that there's an eternal dimension to this life. And if you have that assurance, or if you have that conviction, as another translation puts it, then do you know what? That's going to help you to persevere. That's going to help you to endure. Do you have that? Do you have that confidence in what you hope for and what God has said is true? Do you have that assurance of what you cannot see? Because if you do, if you have that kind of faith, then you'll persevere, no matter, in a sense, how hard it gets here. That's what he was saying to these Christians. And so what does he also say? He says, you know, it's that faith. Look at verse 2. It's that faith that the ancients were commended for. And who are those ancients? Well, he's he's about to list them. But also sticking with verse 2, here's another thing we discover about faith. That it actually earns or wins God's approval. If you demonstrate this kind of faith, if you exercise this kind of faith, if you express this kind of faith, it warrants, it receives divine commendation. This is what the ancients were commended for. Or to put it another way, using that phrase from verse 6, without faith, it is actually impossible to please God. But if you have this faith, if you have this confidence and this assurance, and what you hope for and what is not unseen, then you win divine approval. Because without it, you can't please God, but with it, it pleases God. Now, before he then goes on to list these ancients to further illustrate what he's saying, the the writer says something else about faith, and so what he does is he takes his readers back to the very beginning, which is a very good place to start, right back to creation, and he says, by faith, this is the very next verse, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, or that the worlds were framed by the word of God, depending on your translation. In other words, God said it. God called this universe into being. He said, let there be, let there be. And it was all by the power of his word, and he created it out of nothing. None of you were there, none of us were there. But by faith you believe and you trust in God's power, don't you? Or do you? That's what he's saying. Do you have confidence in God's word? Because it's God's word that created the world in which you live in. Do you have confidence in God's creative power? And understanding and recognizing that that is how this world was made. And so if you like, just just to summarize those first three verses, the faith that these people had and needed to have and I'm kind of using, and some of you are familiar with Raymond Brown, a Bible commentator, but this is the kind of three main points that he makes, he uses based on those three. He says, listen, faith accepts God's word. It's clear in what he said. Confidence in what we hope for. Assurance what we don't see. A dynamic certainty. That's what faith is. You accept God's word. Secondly, faith wins God's approval. And thirdly, faith recognizes God's power do have that kind of faith? Is that the faith we have? That's the faith we need if we're going to persevere and endure. And then he starts talking about the faith of various Bible characters. And what he does is he paints a picture of faith in the lives of a whole list of ancients. And as we consider them and their stories, we, we kind of gain this clearer and sharper and more colorful picture of what faith is and what faith looks like. And so first up, it's Abel whose story is recorded back in Genesis 4. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says about him. Or, sorry, there it is there. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's... Three times in that one verse we read of Abel by faith. So what characterized Abel's faith? What was it that Abel's faith produced? Well, let me suggest three things just there. Genuine worship, true righteousness, and a credible witness. You see, Abel's offering, his sacrifice, his worship to God was the real deal. It was authentic. It was acceptable, unlike his brother's and that becomes shockingly apparent and, and exactly why, and I mean, there's lots of reasons why Abel's sacrifice was, was acceptable compared to Cain's. But it becomes shockingly apparent that his worship was authentic because then what does Cain turn around and do? He turns around and kills Abel. His attitude, his heart, his worship was all wrong. Cain, yes, he brought an offering but his heart wasn't in it. He was just simply going through the motions. And God saw that. Why did God say it? Because God sees the heart. And therefore, he knew the motives. And he didn't accept his worship. And as a result, Cain went out and killed Abel. You see, faith produces and is characterized by genuine worship. Secondly, true righteousness. Abel, it says, was commended as righteous. Some of you will know that Jesus talks about Abel. In Matthew 23, Jesus refers to Abel, and here's how he refers to him as righteous Abel. In other words, here was a right living man. The apostle John also talks about Abel and Cain in these terms. And here's what the Apostle John says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, faith, by faith, faith produces and is characterized by right living. And so Abel lived a righteous life, whereas Cain didn't. that's what faith is about. It's about genuine worship. It's about right living. And then thirdly, it's about a credible witness because Abel still speaks even though he's dead. His life of faith continues to provide a credible witness. The first recipients of this letter were reminded here of Abel's faith. Why? So that they might learn about it. But more than that, his example is held up as a model of faith so that they might learn not just about it, but learn from it because his faith speaks on. So you get this picture building of those who have faith. They're genuine worshipers. Their worship comes from the heart. They are right living people. They're commended for their right living. And they offer a credible witness. And again, let me ask you, are you a genuine worshiper? Has your worship tonight come from the heart? We're thinking about this this morning. Are you right living? Are you living the way God wants you to live? And is your life a credible witness? That's faith. Next, the ancient Enoch. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about him. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he didn't experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. See, there's that dynamic certainty in God's word that he is who he says he is, that he exists, that God is, that in the beginning, God, yes, believe that. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So at the heart of that is the fact that without faith you cannot please God. But Enoch was commended as someone who did please God. And so he is another example of faith. But how did Enoch please God? Now here's the question, right? How did Enoch please God? I mean, the writer of Hebrews says he pleased God. So I'm not looking for this to come back at. But think about this for a minute. How, how did Enoch please God? Well, again, you need to go back to his story. And his story is in the very next chapter to the story of Abel and Cain. Genesis chapter 5. And there's not a lot said about Enoch. In fact, 51 words to be exact. But one phrase occurs twice. So it means it takes up a fifth of the words all about this man. Does anyone have an idea of what the phrase that appears twice about Enoch might be? About what he did? Exactly. Enoch walked faithfully with God. That is why he pleased him. And the really interesting thing, and I don't know if you've noticed this before, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know if I, I did. No, I didn't actually. I don't know, I don't know if it, I know I didn't. I didn't notice this before, but you know, he didn't always walk like this. Let me read what John said. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. He didn't start this until he was 65. His faith journey started at that point. And he started and then he continued to walk with God. And to walk with God, is, what does that mean? It means connection, it means communion it means in step with, it means togetherness, it means friendship. And that is what it means to have faith because that is what it produces. That is how faith is characterized. It's characterized by a relationship with God, a relationship that never ends. Because the fascinating aspect of this in Enoch's story is that he started walking and he never stopped. Enoch is one of the only two people in Scripture who did not experience death. The other one being Elijah. But whatever else that unique, or not quite unique, there's only one other, but whatever else this unique aspect of Enoch's life reveals, we discover or sense that for those who live by faith, here's another thing about faith, death is not the end. For those who live by faith, death is not the end. And isn't that what God promises And isn't that what Easter Sunday confirms? And so as we add to this picture of those who have faith and to what faith looks like, we need to include that it involves a relationship. It involves a relationship with God, a day-by-day walk with God, and it involves eternal life, life in constant communion with God beyond the grave. That is faith. And again, we need to... Christians who are feeling under pressure, who are up against it, who are being tempted to pack it in. These discoveries, that's about having a relationship with God that never ends. It goes on and on. So keep going. Persevere. Hang in there. That's what it's all about. Next up's Noah. Now, don't worry. I know some of you are thinking, are we about to go through all 16 in this chapter? We're not about to go through all 16 in this chapter, so don't panic. Uh, but let's consider Noah. Just one verse in Hebrews, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and he became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. Do you know that first sentence there, doesn't it resonate with the opening definition of, of faith in verse 1? God spoke to Noah about things not yet seen. God spoke to this man about things not yet seen. And what does, what does Noah do? He believes. He accepts God's word, dynamic certainty. And he has an assurance about what he can't see. That's, that's faith. He's sure and he's confident in what he can't see because God has said, listen, this is what's going to happen. And what does he do? he he hears it, and he acts upon it. And he also is, is, is confident of what he hopes for, because what he hopes for is salvation. And so he, God says to him, I want you to build a boat, and I'm going to save you and your family. And so he does that because he had confidence in the fact that God would rescue him. And so as this picture of faith builds, we can add based on Noah's The reality and the existence and and, and the presence of obedience that that Noah lived, that Noah had an obedient faith. That he heard what God said, and then he just did it. He believed it, and he did it. Even though he couldn't see it. But he hoped for it. And he had confidence in that. And he had assurance that because God had said it. That's faith. And R. Kent Hughes, writing about this, says... The words of this really simple text in Hebrews 11 provides two beautiful insights into the obedience of Noah. One, did you notice that he obeys in holy fear? In holy reverence. He doesn't just do this because he's scared. There may have been a twinge of that. He doesn't even do it out of a sense of duty. Well, God has said it so God. It. No, it's not. He does it out of a, be- of a reverence for God. You see, faith produces and is characterized by awe and wonder. Faith produces and is characterized by awe and wonder a holy fear, a right regard for God. Noah had that, and so when God spoke into his life and he believed it in holy fear, reverently, out of reverence for God, he obeyed. That's faith. And secondly, obedient faith is practical. Because what does he do? He rolls up his sleeves and he starts building a boat. Genesis 6.22 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. I hear you, God. I believe you, God. I'm going to build that boat. For 120 years, he did. And he took the abuse. And he took the ridicule. But he still obeyed. Because faith always does. It always acts despite the background noise. And so back to the original recipients of this letter, they were under pressure, as I say, to pack it all in. But the example of Noah's faith reminded them, I've got to stay true to God's word. I've got to persevere. I've got to hang in here. Despite the persecution, despite the abuse, despite the ridicule, despite the temptation to go back to an old way of life, despite the fact that this seems the craziest thing to do, look at Noah. Reverently, practically, he obeyed God. And finally, Or finally, for now, Abraham's up. The paragon of faith. Who gets more coverage in this chapter than anyone else. But in the first verse of Hebrews 11, which is verse 8, it says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed. When God called him to leave home and go to another land, that God would give him as an inheritance. And he went without knowing where he was going. You see, a future inheritance hoped for that he couldn't see. couldn't see it. And yet, dynamic certainty. God, you've said it. I believe it. I'm going to take you at your word. And what does he do? He goes, he he steps out, just like Indiana Jones. Doesn't see with a physical eye. But he believes. And so he puts one foot in front of the other. That's confidence. That's assurance. God has said it. It's what I hope for. I don't see it, God. I don't see where You're taking me. I don't see the fact that you're going to, with all these, You're going to bless me, and my my sin's going to be a blessing. I don't see it, but I'm going to leave her, and I'm going to go. Couldn't see what He hoped for. Couldn't see that inheritance that God spoke about. But He stepped out. Faith spawns reflexive steps of obedience. Faith spawns reflexive steps of obedience. You said it, God. I'm going to step out. Even though I don't see it, I'll step out. This morning's question uh, if you were here, how's your worship? Tonight's question, how's your faith? And here's a bunch of questions just to finish. Do you have confident assurance in what you hope for and don't see? In other words, do you have a dynamic certainty in God's word? Do you? Do you have a dynamic certainty in God's word? Is your worship genuine? Are you living right? Is your life a credible witness? Like Abel's, that's that's faith. Are you walking with God? Are you in relationship with God? Do you realize that that walk with God is going to last forever? That's faith. Are you reverently and actively obedient to God's Word like Noah? That's faith. And in light of the prospect of a new home that awaits you, in light of a future inheritance that awaits you, are you stepping out in obedience to God's Word? That's faith. And so may we to use the words of the end of chapter 10, may we who belong to those who have faith and are saved, may we live like that. May we have faith and live by.